0: We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Saturday. We're well into the weekend. Things settling down a little bit. The Oath Keepers trial is on hold now until Monday. The Oath Keepers are uh, putting up their defense. Elmer Stewart Rhodes is on the stand. And he's a whiny little fucking bitch. Mr. Tough Guy's crying on the stand. We'll talk more about that later, I'm sure. But there's been something I've been hearing about. We're very close to the midterms, of course. They're coming up in a few days on Tuesday. We're seeing all the polls. Oh, it's going to be close. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. And I've told you before, I wouldn't go by that. I wouldn't trust that. Polls aren't typically right. But I've been hearing some people, some celebrities say some things. Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, Colin Coward. Of all people saying, oh, the red way's coming, it's going to be big. Well, (laughs) tell me you're a stupid motherfucker without telling me you're a stupid motherfucker. It's just frustrating to hear this because they aren't taking anything into consideration. They aren't considering the facts. They're just spewing shit to their sizable platforms, hoping they can convince Democrats to be depressed about this and say, well, I just won't vote. It's a scam. It's a fucking game. Or these people are just stupid. I'm going to tell you this. I've kind of gone out on the limb uh, saying what I'm saying, that the Democrats will win the House and the Senate. They'll maintain the uh, majority in both. I don't know how big the majority will be, but I'm convinced they will keep the majority in both. If that happens... I'm going to be calling out every one of those motherfuckers, and I want to go viral on TikTok. Joe Rogan, you're a fucking idiot. Colin Coward, Ben Shapiro, you're fucking stupid. All you Republicans, I just want to call them out. You know, they don't know what they're talking about, but they spew this stuff just because it comes in their head. Now, you might say the same thing for me, that I'm just saying the Democrats will win because I'm just pulling that out of my ass and— you know, from when we've talked about this, I'm looking at facts. I'm basing my, my opinion on facts. That said, I know I can be wrong just as much as anyone. And I'll tell you what, if I am wrong, I will come here on the podcast down on TikTok and say, fuck, I was wrong. I can be wrong. And then I'll say, now what? Now what do we do? We've got to figure out what we're going to do next. But these guys, these other clowns, I don't know what they're hoping to accomplish But they're wrong. First of all, at worst case, it's not going to be a red wave. You know, if the Republicans win, it's only going to be why one or two at most. There's no way the Democrats are going to take a shit like this after the last two years that the Republicans have had. Overturning Roe v. Wade, for Christ's sake? There's one guy, one celebrity, that agrees with me. His name is Michael Moore, you know, the documentarian. And I'm going to talk about him later in the show. And uh, he kind of comes this at the same way as I do. Now I can't say I'm a huge fan of Michael Moore. Some of the things I've seen him done, some of the talks he's he's done, I'm going, who is this fuck? But I think he gets it, and we'll talk more about that later in the show. I'm just getting tired of this whole thing, this whole fucking election. You got everybody wringing their hands and nervous. Oh my God, what's going to happen? You know what? What's going to happen is going to happen. It's either going to be good news for the Democrats or bad news for the Democrats. There's really not much we can do about it now, so let's not worry about it. Let's just sit back, know that we put the work in up to this point, and we we'll see what happens. If it goes well, we'll cheer. If it goes badly, we'll whine and cry for about 10 minutes and say, fuck it, we're going after these bastards and we're going to take them down. The Great Consolation Prize will be the indictments that hit the fan after the midterms. That'll take the sting out of it if the Republicans win the House. But I, I just don't see how that's possible, House or Senate. Anyway, let's talk about uh let's talk about an email I got. I only got one email today, and that's fine. I enjoy the emails. I love it when people uh Right in, and I love it when people end up on the show. We've had a a few shows with guests. I always like those shows. They seem to go a little smoother. It's a lot easier on me. And I think it's really informative to get a different perception than just me. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) As much as I like to talk, sometimes I get tired of hearing myself talk. And if I get tired of hearing me talk... I'm guessing some of you do from time to time. Well, at least you have the options. If there's a podcast out there and you are tired of hearing me talk, you just don't listen to that one because you can trust there's one coming tomorrow. All right, let's get to the email. This one comes from Eric. He says, something occurred to me listening to your podcast the other night. I think that there is more to the DOJ not charging any politicians or Donald Trump. While I'm sure Merrick Garland is worried about the court of public opinion, I think he's also thinking about negating a possible defense. As mad as people are about any of the not currently being charged folks, imagine if they get acquitted because they got someone to believe that despite all the evidence, they weren't guilty because they were only charged because they were on the ballot. I also think that the DOJ is waiting to charge Donald Trump for January 6th because they want to bring an airtight case. They want to overwhelm a jury so that even though some charges might fail, they still get him. Thanks, Eric. Well, I think you're right on target, Eric, on all those points. I do honestly believe that they're holding back till after the midterms because they don't want to give them any excuses or any arguing points. That's not to say they won't have some. They'll make some shit up. They'll pull it out of their ass. But why give that to them if you don't have to? And people have been pushing for an indictment. But now we're three days out. What's the point now? Let's just wait till afterwards. But there's an interesting turn of events. And this is something we'll talk about later, too. Uh, there's talk coming from the Trump camp, whoever's left over there, that he may announce to uh, his his uh, candidacy for the president um, around November 14th, which is when he's supposed to go testify. Now that's interesting. He's supposed to go testify to the January 6th committee on November 14th. Um, will he testify? Who knows? Who knows? I don't really honestly think he will, but that he may announce his run for the presidency on November 14th. I don't know where they got that from. I don't know how legitimate it is. But uh, for my money, I would guess sometime after the midterms, he would announce he's running for president because he thinks it'll be somehow it'll somehow immunize him from being indicted, which is not true which is not true. But it's interesting that it, that we would hear that it's November 14th. And for me, what that maybe tells me is if they're really concerned about doing something before an election, indicting him before the election, you would only think that they want to indict him before he announces this candidacy for the president. So maybe, just maybe, at some point between the 9th of November and the 13th of November, that's when the indictments are going to fall. Maybe this is hopeful thinking, I don't know, but it makes sense. It gets him past the election and gets him before he announces. That may be a possibility, I don't know, I don't know for sure. But in as far as uh, trying to put together an airtight uh, case, you're absolutely right, Eric. I mean, this is going to be probably one of the biggest criminal political cases in the history of this country. Merrick Garland is very wary about just jumping headlong into something like this and failing. Then he would be remembered in history of losing the biggest case in history. And of course, when you're talking about Donald Trump, a former president, there's all these little angles and little ways they can wiggle out of shit. Merrick Garland is methodical and meticulous. I'm sure he's trying to get every possible option covered. I think he's trying to box Donald Trump in so there is no way out, that it's a sure thing. He doesn't want to gamble on this case, and I understand that. It would be bad for him, it would be bad for the country, and it would be good for Donald Trump, which is bad for the country. So, you're right, he's being overly cautious, but I think that's important to do. Now, we know that uh, Merrick Garland has yet to lose a case And you don't go undefeated like that without knowing what the fuck you're doing and preparing to the T. So I'm sure that's what Merrick Garland is doing. Like I said, when, when the midterms are over on November 9th, 10th or so, the paradigm in this country is going to shift. We've all been focused on the midterms, when it's behind us. Then we will at least know what we know and can decide what we do next. If we win, great. Things look up. But if we lose the house, then we have to sit back and say, okay, now what? Where are we going to fight? And the, and, and and if we lose the house, I think... These indictments that are going to fall not only to Donald Trump but sitting members of Congress will take the sting out of the loss and maybe counteract whatever success the Republicans thought they had. So we'll see. We'll see. Well, yesterday was a deadline for Donald Trump. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th committee or the January 6th attack released a statement on Friday giving former President Donald Trump more time to turn over documents it subpoenaed, but offering little explanation as to why the extension was granted. Okay, so here's the deal. Donald Trump was supposed to turn over a certain amount of documents by today, actually by yesterday, by midnight yesterday. And he did not. He did send some kind of communication. His lawyers did. We don't know what that communication said. But for whatever reason, the January 6th committee said, "Okay, we'll give it till next week. You know, and next week is just a few days away. So they're not giving him a lot of time. The statement said, we've informed the former president's counsel that he must begin proceeding are producing records no later than next week, and he remains under subpoena for deposition testimony starting on November 14th, the committee said in a statement. The panel subpoenaed Trump last month, seeking a wide array of documents by 10 a.m. Friday and for Trump to sit for an interview under oath beginning on November 14th, continuing on subsequent days as necessary, meaning if it if they didn't get it done in one day, he'd have to be there the 15th, the 16th, however long it took. Now, I've said all along that I don't think he's going to show. I don't even think he's going to turn over the documents. They're just trying to delay and delay and try to get it past the midterms. And I'll be honest with you, with this situation, I don't think the midterms are really a thing for Donald Trump. It's not really going to change anything. Even if he turned the documents over yesterday, it would probably be a few days before we even heard what was in those documents. The public wouldn't know. So it wouldn't really impact the midterms. But, you know, Donald Trump, he likes to fucking delay and, and delay. Now, lawyers for Trump had accepted service of the subpoena from the committee. As of October 26, according to sources familiar with the matter, Trump has criticized the committee but not said whether he would comply with the subpoena. Um, on the day the subpoena was announced, Trump's attorney, David Warrington, said in a statement that the committee was flouting norms and appropriate and customary process by publicly releasing the subpoena and that his legal team would respond as appropriate to the unprecedented action they always say that you've never done this to a president before it's unprecedented well motherfucker what you've done donald trump as president is rather unprecedented We've never had to do anything like this because no past president has been this fucking crazy, this criminal, this corrupt. So it's natural that things would be a little different for him, given that he's done all these things and we've never seen it before. Republican Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming, the vice chairman of the committee, previously said the committee was in discussions with Trump's attorneys about testifying under oath in the probe, yet they're negotiating. How many people really get to negotiate a subpoena? You come and you do what you're fucking told. There really is no options here. Of course, we're talking about the January 6th committee. We're not talking about the DOJ when the DOJ says you got to come sit. Much different story. A letter from the committee that accompanied the subpoena summarized what the panel presented in a series of hearings to demonstrate why it believes Trump personally orchestrated and oversaw the efforts to overturn the 2020 election. It also asked Trump to turn over all records of phone calls, text messages, or communications with any members of Congress from December 18th to January 6th, all of his communications on January 6th specifically, and any communications or efforts to contact other witnesses in the committee's investigation. Do you really think Donald Trump's going to turn all that shit over? Hell no. He goes out of his way to avoid having emails and text messages as it is. He'll probably just say, well, I don't have any. I'd love to turn them over to you, but I don't have any. I don't think this is ever going to happen. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't care. This is a small thing in the scheme of things here. It's the indictments that are going to have the impact. As I've told you before, the January 6th committee isn't a legal body. It's basically there to sort out the information and the witnesses and make that information available to the public. All they really are doing is exposing facts to the public and ultimately to the DOJ, who then in turn decides whether they're going to indict and prosecute. And to be perfectly honest, I think... In terms of the January 6th situation, I think the DOJ already has as much evidence as they need to indict. But again, we know they're waiting till after the midterm, so we'll see what happens. Well, let's talk about a whiny bitch. (laughs) Twitter owner Elon Musk. Is blaming activists for advertisers fleeing in droves, insisting their attempts to destroy free speech in America, not his bad business decisions, are hurting his company. Now, it's interesting. Yesterday, he fired about half of his staff, half of the employees from Twitter were fired. Now it was interesting. It was interesting. A couple people made posts before they left that weren't exactly too complimentary to Elon Musk. In fact, at one point, I'm sure they fixed it now, but at one point, one of the former Twitter employees <laughs> suspended Elon Musk's account. <laughs> I'm sure it was turned on very quickly. But as I watch what's going on, I'm a little concerned. I'm not big on conspiracy theories, and I'm not trying to create a conspiracy theory here. But hear me out on this. Elon Musk comes in. The uh, advertisers are leaving in droves. Uh, The people who work there are saying it's chaotic, it's a mess, it's a shit show, it's unstable at this point. It could fall at any moment. Wouldn't that be great? Elon Musk pours $44 billion into this, and it takes a big shit faster than truth social. What are the fucking odds about this? But what I find a little disconcerting, and I want you to think about this and see what you think. So he fires half of the staff just days before the midterms. What does that really mean? I mean, there's no real oversight anymore. There's nobody that's going to be watching what's going on on Twitter. Or if they are, it's going to take longer to react, maybe days. So does that mean that Twitter is now going to become like the old West, people doing whatever the fuck they want, whenever the fuck they want? They go, oh, whoops, 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 we'll fix it. But they don't end up fixing it until after the midterms. Now, a lot of people think that Elon Musk is firing all those people because he wants to put money in his pocket. Really, you think? I mean, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world. Is he really looking for pennies and dimes and nickels? Is that really really of concern to him? I'd rather think he wants something that all rich people want, power. And there is never enough power. If he can let uh, Twitter go like the old West and have all this crazy shit going on prior to the midterms. Maybe he would have an impact or help to the Republicans. But here's here's the other thing that I find troubling. In addition to uh, turning Twitter into a shit show just days before the midterm. Remember that hubbub about the blue checks, the verifications, how he said, look, If you're going to have a blue check on Twitter now, we're going to charge you eight bucks a month. Now, people scoffed at that. I'm not paying you eight bucks a month just because you verified I'm me because I know I'm fucking me. And people scoffed at that. But I think there's something problematic with that whole concept. Maybe something deeper, maybe something more insidious that's going on here. And again, I might just be cynical and I might just be falling into a conspiracy theory, but hear me out. You fire half the squad. Now there's really no oversight in that organization. Then you start selling blue checks, verification checks. But I've been listening to some Twitter people who know what's going on there. And because there's lack of staff now and the oversight is going to be non-existent or at least very slow. Imagine this. If I'm on Twitter and I want a blue check, I pay them eight bucks. It's not very hard to get verified, and I don't really know what the advantage of being verified like that is. I'm not verified like that on TikTok or Facebook or any of these other fucking places, and I don't fucking care. But if there is no oversight, imagine this. It's not worth it to get a blue check for me for 8 bucks a month. Not a lot of money, but I'm just not going to fucking do it. However, if I'm a trumplafuck, And I have a criminal and corrupt mind and there is no oversight. What's stopping me from saying, yeah, I'll buy a blue check for eight bucks a month. And oh, by the way, I'm Jill Biden or I'm Nancy Pelosi or I'm Joe Biden or I'm Hunter Biden or I'm Eric Swalwell. You see what I'm saying here? If there is no oversight and this whole place is running like a shit show, We've got people doing whatever they want to do on Twitter leading up to the midterms. And with this blue check situation, you've got people coming out of the woodwork claiming to be somebody and then starting spewing all this crazy shit. Now, you have to understand that people for a long time have trusted Twitter for their news. When you turn it into true social, will they realize it right up front or will they buy into this bullshit? When somebody fakes Joe Biden's uh, account and gets the blue check, will they start spewing crazy bullshit? And then will the trump believe it? Of course they will. Not because they even believe it, because they want to believe it. They'll do anything, anything to own the libtars. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with this. But somebody asked me an interesting question, and I did something on it and about TikTok. And this person, I think it was, they were called Ramrod One, and and they said, "How was it that Twitter became an official news source?" And that's a good question. First and foremost, Twitter is not an official news source. Fact of the matter is, we have no official news source. Because if we had an official news source, there would be a governing body restricting these news sources from doing one thing or the other. But we know we don't have that anymore. So people can just spew whatever they spew. doesn't matter if they're left or right. They're saying whatever they want to say, anything that's going to gain them more viewers. So how was it that people started counting on Twitter for their news? And I know a lot of people, there's hundreds of millions of people out there using Twitter, and many of them use that as their sole news source. How did that happen? Who's at fault for that happening? Well, I'll tell you who's at fault. You are. And I don't mean you, Ramrod. I don't mean you, the listener of the Rational Boomer podcast. I'm talking about the collective you all people that use Twitter. Now Twitter started out like every other platform, oh here's my lunch or here's a picture of my kids or grandkids or my dog doing something funny or here's a clever quote that I made up or that I stole from somebody else, here's that clever quote. And then it got some traction. It got a lot of people joining it. Now corporations and news networks saw, uh-huh, "Ha, Well, that's interesting because we can promote ourselves for free on the Twitter platform by just putting up our own accounts. So ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, OAN, Newsmax, AP, all of these news agencies put accounts on Twitter. So people started looking at their news in short bits. And why? Because they're lazy motherfuckers. We're all lazy. It's not just you. It's not just Trumple We're all lazy. We don't want to sit down and watch a lengthy fucking report. We're too lazy to read anything or to do our due diligence and work something out. No, it's much easier if you just go to Twitter and start flipping shit. Oh, that's what's happening. Now, the problem is, as much as we have these media or news outlets on Twitter, we have a lot of other people, writers from other publications. You might not even know what the publication is. They say shit. And then the regular posters say shit. And now you've got a uh, veritable shit stew. And it's all coming up. But you're still lazy, and you're still going through Twitter. And that's how you get your news. That's how it became an official, not official news source. We made it a news source because we count on it and we use it. And when I say you, again, it's a collective you. I don't look at Twitter that often. But I know a lot of people do, and I don't begrudge you that. It's a good source for things. But over time, it becomes convoluted. It becomes bullshit. It becomes a lot of conspiracy theories because the Trumple fucks get in there and turn it into shit. If one bad apple spoils the whole bunch, a million bad apples make it a shit stew. It's no other way to do it. So that's how it became what it is. And that's how it became something that people trusted. Anyhow, Musk admitted in a tweet Friday that Twitter has suffered a massive drop in revenue. As advertisers fall off, a coalition called Stop Toxic Twitter, consisting of more than 60 civil rights groups, including the Anti-Defamation League, has urged businesses not to support Twitter given massive layoffs and Musk's failure to take action to prevent the platform from becoming a super spreader of racism. What we're seeing is the real-time destruction of one of the world's most powerful communication systems, Nicole Gill, executive director of Accountable Tech, one of the groups in the coalition. Elon Musk is an erratic billionaire who's dangerously unqualified to run Twitter. Some of the biggest advertisers are holding off on buying space on Twitter like Volkswagen, Pfizer, General Mills, Despite Musk's oft-expressed support for a mostly uncensored Twitter, he tried to reassure advertisers last month that Twitter would not become a free-for-all hellscape. Well, it's starting to look like a free-for-all hellscape. There is skyrocketing rates of hate speech and misinformation, according to the social media monitors. The Network Contagion Research Institute, which analyzes message across social media platforms, discovered the use of the N-word on Twitter spiked nearly 500% over the 12 hours. 12 hours after Musk bought the company. It's fucking crazy. That's absolutely fucking crazy. Now, now. The the, the important thing is it's not just the people on Twitter. Musk himself has personally tweeted dangerous lies on Twitter. On Sunday, he tweeted and then deleted, of course, a link to a baseless conspiracy theory that Paul Pelosi's husband of Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had been beaten with a hammer at the couple's San Francisco home by a gay lover. Absolutely false. Absolutely bullshit. There is no evidence the suspect, whose apparent online postings cite right wing conspiracy theories, knew Paul Pelosi at all, according to law enforcement. Now, Reuters has reported that a media buyer from a major ad agency was so concerned about that tweet that executives planned to discuss it in a meeting with Musk. Reuters also reported that advertisers were backing off of Twitter because of noticeable decline in users who tweet. I read someplace that uh, maybe a million people have already dropped off of Twitter. Now, in the scheme of things, that's a small drop in the bucket. We're talking a few hundred million at least that use Twitter, so one million isn't a big deal, but I don't know that they've seen anything like that before. They were always gaining ground, gaining users, and now they're losing users. They're losing advertisers, and they're losing credibility. I think what they said earlier on, that that, uh, Elon Musk is essentially over his head. He doesn't know what he's doing. I think he started this out and trying to game the system, try to make some money off the deal. He makes the offer, Mr. Loud and Proud. And then he backs off, but then Twitter makes him buy it because he fucked up. He signed something he shouldn't have signed, so now he buys it. So he buys this thing and he walks in and starts making wholesale changes, firing half the staff, the whole thing with the blue check mark. It all seems very weird. He's either really incompetent or he's some evil genius trying to come up with some strategy that we don't recognize as yet. I tend to believe that uh, he just doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's going to run Twitter into the ground. As I've said before, most social media platforms do have an expiration date. They do their time, they are popular, and then they kind of fade away because new technology like TikTok or Instagram or something like that comes along. And even TikTok and Instagram will go by the wayside at some point in the distant future because something better will come along. Elon Musk has a lot of problems. And like any good narcissist, he doesn't blame himself. He doesn't take the L. He's blaming it on everybody else. Well, if you weren't mean or if you weren't lying about me, I wouldn't be in this position. Well... If Elon Musk loses $44 billion, a lot of money, granted, that's not going to do shit to him. He's got over $100 billion, maybe $200 billion. It's not going to kill him if he loses it. But it will be a shot to his ego, which is sizable. All narcissists have huge egos. And when you slam them where it hurts the most, it's the ego. I don't use Twitter very much, and I'm probably going to use it even less now. Occasionally, I'll throw some crazy bullshit out there that goes against the Republicans just to see if they'll kick me off, but I'm such a low-profile user, nobody even notices. I got a few likes, I got a few retweets, but uh, nobody's up in arms about it. I even got anybody who posted and said, you're a fucking asshole. I didn't even get that. Not yet. Maybe I got to try a little harder. I'll do that. We'll see what happens. Honestly, I don't check Twitter that much. So maybe there are people mad at me. And I hope there are. But I haven't seen it as yet. Anyhow, we're going to take a quick break. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. George Conway is. He's a conservative attorney, a Republican, who hates Donald Trump. Interestingly enough, he's married to Kellyanne Conway, who loves Donald Trump and used to work for Donald Trump. Can you imagine what dinner's like in their house? It's got to be fucking nuts. Well, Conway explained why he thinks the Department of Justice is preparing to charge Donald Trump or the government records the FBI and National Archives recovered from Mar a Lago. Of course, we know Cash Patel testified in front of the grand jury uh, investigating the classified documents at Mar a Lago. Now, the important thing here is that he did it with immunity. He had initially declined to answer questions from the grand jury by taking the fifth, and then the judge granted him immunity. So that's what we actually saw him do, testify with immunity. Now, Conway thought it was significant that Patel was compelled to testify. He will go to jail if he says, I'm not answering your question. And so it forces him to answer questions under oath ...to the questions like, did Donald Trump really do the brainwave declassification? And it's one thing to say that on Newsmax or Breitbart, or some news outlet, any news outlet. It's another thing really to say it, under oath, in front of a federal grand jury. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Now, as Patel has spoken publicly so frequently on the topic, it will be tough for him to claim he does not recall you'll know who Cash Patel is. He used to work for Devin Nunes, and then he worked for Donald Trump. And when Donald Trump was making the claim that he declassified all the documents, Cash Patel was the guy that said, oh yeah, I was there, I seen it. I seen it. (laughs) And you know he's lying. This guy is a little bit grimy, a little bit sketchy. Now he's real sketchy. And... They tried to get him to testify before, and he just pled the fifth. The judge decided, well, you probably pled the fifth with good reason. So maybe immunity will work. Now, that might suggest that uh, it's limited immunity, but it's immunity nonetheless. And it might suggest that Cash Patel might get away with something, which would be disappointing, to say the least. But it shows us the goal here is Donald Trump. They are focused on Donald Trump. They want to nail Donald Trump, and they'll give this clown immunity and make sure that they do that. Now, Cash Patel is one of the many that have already and those that will throw Donald Trump under the bus. These people know that Donald Trump has no loyalty, will not protect them. They don't want to go to jail, so the best thing they can do is to testify against Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump on True Social was a little bit agitated, to say the least, when he found out that Cash Patel was going to testify with immunity. Oh, yeah, Donald's not liking that at all. That's why he's anxious to say, I'm running for president, because he honestly thinks that will get him out of trouble. It will not. It will not. Just because he announces his candidacy doesn't mean shit. As I've told you before, I'd be very surprised if the Republican Party even took him up as a candidate. And that's besides whether he can legally do it or not. These particular crimes that Cash Patel is throwing him under the bus for would preclude him from running for president again. So... Donald Trump's being a little presumptuous here, thinking that he's going to run for president. Not if Cash Patel has anything to do with it. Not if the Democrats have anything to do with it. The J6 committee, the Department of Justice, they've got Donald Trump cold. The whole declassification thing that Cash Patel supported for a while, I guarantee you he's not anymore, But even if these things were all declassified, he still broke the law because he's not allowed to be in possession of said documents. So the declassification is nothing more than a distraction. It doesn't get him off the hook. Well, we know he didn't declassify them, and Cash Patel will acknowledge that. Oh, yeah, I lied all those times on TV. But there's no law against lying on TV, and this is true. There should be a law... uh, that stops media from allowing people to lie on their platforms. But that's not the case. So Donald Trump is in a bit of trouble right now. He's got his own people talking against him, his own closest people. And if anybody knows what's going on, it's them. And if they're trying to save their own ass, they'll give up anything they possibly have to give up. So, George Conway, the conservative lawyer, thinks this is an excellent sign that Donald Trump will be indicted and prosecuted and probably convicted. And, you know, George Conway, if you've watched him over the past six years, he's been pretty on point with his opinions. I mean, he is a lawyer, he's a conservative, and he's watched what's going on, and he's been appalled by it. For whatever reason, his wife has been all for it and all behind it. I don't I don't understand how those two exist together. I mean, you definitely don't want to talk about business at home. It's got to be about the kids or about the yard or something. They can't possibly be talking about politics. Because Kellyanne Conway even said, oh, I'm sure he's going to run for the presidency and he's going to win sorry kelly that's not going to fucking happen now you'll remember i brought up joe rogan now joe rogan for those who don't know and i'd be surprised if you don't know he's a comedian and an actor who started a podcast long time ago and he's been immensely successful with his podcast probably one of the most successful podcasts in existence It's so successful that Spotify gave him uh, like $100 million just to air his show. They didn't get ownership of the show. Joe Rogan was smart. He kept the ownership. But just to put it on Spotify, he's getting $100 million. Now, my podcast (laughs) is on, uh, on, on Anchor, which is owned by Spotify, and it's also on Spotify apps as well you know what I'm getting? I'm not getting jack. And that's probably fair enough. I don't have as big an audience as Joe Rogan. But, you know, if I could get not $100 just just 100 bucks, that would be good. That would make me feel better. Anyway, that's beside the point. I told you that Joe Rogan was going on his shows talking about the red wave that's coming. And that's absolutely bullshit. And who would believe Joe Rogan anyway? Well, most of his listeners wouldn't until they hear this next story. Remember hearing about all these Republicans talking about, oh, they want people dressed up as cats in school, and they want to put litter boxes in the schools. That's got to stop. And all these Republicans are yelling and screaming about it as if it's true. Now, nobody's ever shown us an example of that before, but it doesn't matter. It's just rhetoric, and they're going to rant and rave about it. Here's an interesting story. Controversial talk Show host Joe Rogan has finally admitted his claims about schools providing litter boxes for furry kids were baseless. Rogan first made the comment in October during a podcast with former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. The claim, which has been circulated for months, has been repeatedly debunked by school officials. Reagan walked back, or Rogan walked back his comments during an episode of his podcast on October 26th, saying, I don't think they actually did it. I think there were discussions about doing it because there was uh, one particularly wacky mother, but it doesn't seem that there's any proof that they put a litter box in there. Now, last week, Rogan admitted that he fed into the false claims He added that he had been inclined to believe the hoax because of his experience when he encountered a furry convention in Pittsburgh maybe 10 years ago. At least one GOP candidate, Don Bolduc of New Hampshire, has been pushing the rumor as part of their extreme MAGA platform. He heard this shit on Joe Rogan and he took it as truth. He didn't investigate it. He didn't do any due diligence. He just spewed that shit, and that's exactly what all Republicans do. Now, tons of school boards, including schools in Tennessee and Iowa, have since issued public statements clarifying their stance on shooting down the litter box claims. Bruce Bostelman, he's a conservative Republican lawmaker from Nebraska, had to retract his words after repeating the hoax on televised debate in March. And what this goes to is the only thing on the Republican platform, and that is owning the libs. And the thing about it is, is they don't have to look into anything. If it sounds bad for the libs, they're going to spew it as if it's real. And that's what people like the trump do. They take things out of the air or out of their ass. They spew it out and act as if it's direct from God. And they will sell it and sell it and sell it, even though they don't know any facts, have done no due diligence. And then when they're exposed for being wrong or lying, they just go, oh, well. And then they move on to the next thing. They come up with some even crazier shit. So, when you listen to your Trump lafuck buddies or the people on your post say these sorts of things, we know where it came from. Joe Rogan heard some weird, obscure story some one of his researchers probably pulled it out, and then they expanded on it, then they told it, talked about it on the show. The interesting thing is if Joe just did this as a joke just to see what would happen. I would feel better about it. It's still not a very uh, good idea. It's not a responsible idea. But if he knew and he just said, fuck it, I'm going to make this a joke and do it, and people took it seriously, I could get that. But did you hear what I said earlier? He says he got sucked into that conspiracy thing. He had been at a furry convention, whatever the fuck that is, 10 years before, and he thought, well, this is probably true, so I'm going to go on my show with millions and millions of people listening and act as if it's true. This is what I'm talking about. There is no responsibility in media. I try very hard not to tell you things that might not be true. If I'm not sure it's true, I'm not going to talk about it. And if I do, it's purely accidental. And the moment I find out that I did it, I will own it and say, that's fucked up. I fucked up. Forget about it. Joe Rogan doesn't do it. I think Joe Rogan's probably getting a little bit of guilt now after he's seeing how many people are actually spewing this thing. But apparently it's good to know that Trumplefucks do listen to Joe Rogan and we'll never have that problem here cuz i almost guarantee i have no trumplefucks listening to this podcast nor do i have the numbers that joe rogan has the few trumplefucks that have been on the show or the two trumplefucks that have been on the show aren't likely to be listening anymore i think they've had enough of the rational boomer so anyway this whole thing with the furries and the cat boxes in schools not surprising it's all bullshit Joe Rogan acknowledges it's bullshit, and I'm so fucking tired of Trump LaFox. God damn it. Um, now, we, typically, the party in control of the White House has a tough time during the midterms. We know that. I've said that before. Historically speaking, if you get a Democratic president, you're going to get the Republicans in the midterms. And the Republicans, of course, planning on the red wave election for months. The party put up many poor candidates, though. And whether or not the wave happens is up for debate. It's not up for debate. There is not going to be a red wave. The worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to win by a couple of seats in the House. Honestly, that's the absolute worst that can happen in my mind. Still, conservative media has primed their voters to expect dominance. And, of course, when the Republicans don't win, they claim there was clearly fraud. Now, here's another. Well, he used to be online. I don't know if he's on TV or radio anymore. But this is another motherfucker I do not like. I would love to debate this motherfucker because I understand what he's doing. And he's not very good at it. During his Friday podcast... Ben Shapiro claimed it would be dangerous for the country if Republicans don't come out ahead. How responsible is that? Ben Shapiro, with his many numbers of listeners, much like Joe Rogan, is saying, well, if the Republicans don't win, there's going to be trouble. That sounds like a threat, Ben. You skinny, whiny fucking punk. I, you know, I get a kick out of this guy whenever he's talking to anybody. He does what all Republicans do. He talks loud. He talks fast. And and he's got this whiny, nasally voice. The first question I would ask Ben Shapiro if I sat down with him, I would say, this rapid-fire talking and talking over people and this whiny, nasal voice, is that a strategy or is this how you really talk? I mean, did you do this because you think it works Or because you're just sound like shit. But Ben Shapiro is proved to be an idiot many times. I remember he was, I saw this video. He was on a show with somebody in Britain. Um, (laughs) And apparently Ben didn't look into who he was talking to. Because this guy made some comment that went against what Ben was saying. And Ben sits there and says, <laughs> "says well, of course, those are the liberal talking points, and you're going to do this, and the liberals do that, and the liberals do this. And the older guy sitting next to him just kind of laughed, and he says, you, you, you didn't look into me at all, did you? He goes, what do you mean? Because if you looked into me, you would not have said that. And the reason he would not have said that is because this gentleman, uh, even though he's in England, he was one of the leaders of the conservative party in Britain. <laughs> that guy then proceeded to tear this dumb fuck apart. And, and, and this is the thing. It's what I've said about the media before. They let these people go. They let them talk loud and long, and they don't hold them accountable. You got to put them in a corner and say, Yeah, it's fine that you said that. That's based on what? What are the facts? Where's the truth? Show me that. And then they'll try to divert. And then you grab them by the ear, you pull them back in the corner and say, No, motherfucker, you got to answer this question. Otherwise, you're looking pretty foolish. But media doesn't do that. And you put somebody like Ben Shapiro on, and Ben Shapiro's a lot worse than Rogan. Honestly, I think Rogan's just kind of a dumb fuck. You know, he's a comedian. He just rides whatever wave is going on. It could be conservative. It could be liberal. Because I've heard him go both ways. I don't even know what the fuck he thinks. Because he flip-flops all the time. Ben Shapiro is a different story. He is clearly a fucking Nazi. Now, if Ben doesn't like uh, me calling him a Nazi... Well, he's invited on my podcast any day. I would love to talk to you, and I would show you what it's like when somebody knows how to deal with a fuck like you, how you end up. Well, Ben Shapiro's way bigger than I am, and he's not going to end up on this show. I just don't like the motherfucker. The thing about it is, pretending that this is a surefire bet for Republicans is wrong. However, is the momentum with the Republicans? I don't think so. I don't think the momentum is there. I think the polls might suggest that momentum is there, but that doesn't mean it's real. We understand that the Republicans control a lot of these polls. And I was watching something that I found interesting. 20 years ago, the pollsters would make phone calls, and they would connect with like 30% of the public, and that's how they would do their polls. Now, there's certain ways to do the polls, I guess, that are more professional than other, and presumably some of these people would be more professional. But you know what the contact number is now? It's not 30%. It's less than 1%. So if you're only reaching, I mean, if you're taking calls for two hours and you only get one connect, is that really a good poll? And who are you contacting? Are you contacting just landlines? Because that would be a specific group of people, typically older people. The polls are just something to kind of gauge what's going on, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily real. And because the Republicans do control a lot of these polls, they're doing something very common for them. And they're doing what they're, what they call flooding the zone. They keep pouring out these polls and pouring out these polls in hopes to discourage Democrats from voting because they see the Republicans are getting the upper hand. Well, I'm going to tell you this right now. The Republicans aren't getting the upper hand. There will not be a red wave. There may not be a blue wave, but I think there probably is going to be one. I think people are going to be very surprised. And as I've said before, With all these people making claims about the red wave and how the Republicans are going to win, I'm going to start calling those motherfuckers out afterwards and saying, hey, you said this, you're stupid. And see what they do. See if they come back. They won't. They'll drop their heads and act like they never said it, and they'll move on to the next thing. I mean, remember. In 2020, these same people told us, no question, Donald Trump is going to win in 2020. They even told us in 2020, there's going to be a red wave. There wasn't a red wave. There wasn't quite a blue wave, but the blue did win. They won the Senate, they won the presidency, and they held the House. They told us it was going to be a red wave. So if they told us that then, why should we believe them now? The polls even suggested certain things, and they do this to us all the time. They bring us up to the date. Oh, it's going to be a fight of the Battle of the Titans. We don't know who's going to win. You better watch to make sure and don't leave your TV set. It's so obvious. I don't know why people don't get it. Now, suddenly this turns into a wipeout in favor of Democrats If you're worried about election denial and you're worried about people not trusting the results of elections, if people go to bed on Tuesday night thinking the Republicans won and by Wednesday morning the Democrats have picked up a bunch of seats and the red wave was found on the rocks, there's going to be a lot of discontent in this country. That is what Ben Shapiro is saying. That's kind of what happened in 2020. Now, the reason that happened in 2020 is because the first results you get are those election day voters, the people that went right to the polls. Those are the things that crop up. The reason it changed overnight is because after they count those, then they count the absentee and the early votes. And that's when the tide changes for the Republican Party. And will they be screaming election fraud? Yeah, but so what? They're out of power. They've tried this once. It didn't work. Now they'll have even less power. It won't work again. They'll just have to fucking shut up. Will there be violence? I don't think so. Not any major violence. There'll be the crazies that get out, like the guy that saw Paul Pelosi. But there's not going to be any great wave of violence because these guys are fucking chickens. It's just it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Um, to be perfectly honest, my attitude is when uh, this election is over and they get wiped out and they start screaming election fraud, I'd say think what you want. But you're fucking lost. You're done. Move the fuck out. That would piss them off even more. Not even try to uh, uh, argue the fact. Just say, well, you're fucking lost. You live by the sword and cheat. If you think Democrats cheated, well, then you die by the sword. So fuck you. All right. Now, of course, Donald Trump is talking about uh, declaring for the White House right after the midterm elections. Trump said, <laughs> I love this quote, Trump sent his clearest signal yet that he intends to announce a reelection election campaign. He did this during a rally Thursday night in Iowa, the first caucus state in the GOP primary. This is is what he said. He's so professional. He says, I will very, very, very probably do it again. Okay? Very, very, very probably. Trump said as a crowd of supporters cheered, get ready. That's all I'm telling you. Very soon, get ready, get ready. He sounds like a used car salesman or one of those used car salesmen that did TV commercials. Oh, just wait. It's going to be big. I mean, how many times over the last two years have they said, Donald Trump's going to be back in office. Just you wait. Just you wait. We keep waiting and nothing fucking happens. And this is what's going to happen to him. He may very well announce, but it's not going to have the impact that he thinks it's going to have. It's not going to go well for him. Now, Axios reported on Friday morning that Trump and his team are eyeing November 14th as a possible launch day for the 2024 campaign, which would be followed by a string of political events. And what's interesting about November 14th, as I mentioned earlier, that is the day he's supposed to testify in front of the January 6th committee. And that kind of makes sense. That's what Donald Trump does. He likes to distract people, to take away the power from something else going on. So he's seeing November 14th, if he is forced to testify, he is not going to look good in that testimony. So to distract from that, instead he's going to declare for the presidency, hoping to wipe out or drown out what happened with the January 6th committee. This is kind of a desperate move. And it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Like I've said, Donald Trump will not run in 2024. The moment he says he's a candidate for the presidency, all this money he's grifting stops. It now has to go through a legal process and it has to be accounted for. He can't just put it in his pocket. And I got to tell you, based on how his businesses are running and that they're going to probably be shut down, if they shut off that spigot, Donald Trump's going to be broke as a motherfucker because he's going to have no income coming in. As it is, it's starting to dwindle. Now, Kellyanne Conway, married to to, uh, the gentleman we were talking about earlier, who previously served as Trump's 2016 campaign manager and top advisor, In the Trump White House, she's a dumb shit, but yeah, she was a top advisor. She told reporters at a roundtable on Thursday that she expects the former president to announce soon. She says, I give him a ton of credit for not announcing this year, for not stepping in the way of the midterm candidates. I think you can expect him to announce soon, Conway said, at a Christian Science Monitor event. Well, she's a religious gal, apparently, but apparently she's okay with racism, misogyny, and anti-Semitism. Now, the daughter of Donald Trump that he never talks about probably barely recognizes, Tiffany Trump, is scheduled to get married at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida on November 12th. Now, an announcement could come shortly after that event. Trump is likely to seize on momentum from Republicans winning the House and possibly the Senate and take credit for the feat. I said that before. If the Republicans win, he's going to take full credit for it. Now, if they lose, which is more than likely what's going to happen, then he'll say, well, I'm the only one that can save you. He won't take the blame for the loss, even though he is largely responsible for it. He'll say, now you need me more than ever. I'm going to help you win in 2024. The former president has teased a possible 2024 campaign for much of the time since he left office in January of 2021. The only reason he hasn't announced is because the Republicans and his own people said, just fucking hold back, don't. You're going to fuck up the midterms. And for whatever reason, this time he listened. Now, he's not known for listening very well, but he did in this case. As I said, Donald Trump thinks if he announces he's running for the presidency, he thinks it's going to protect him. And it will not. He's in too deep and there's too much evidence with these top secret documents and the January 6th committee and Georgia. It's not going to stop shit. Uh, Trump still maintains a strong hold on the GOP electorate, making him a formidable candidate who would enter any primary as the favorite. Now, if that happened now, that's true. And that just goes to show how much, how, how shitty the potential candidates are in the Republican Party. But I'm telling you this, if after the midterms his endorsees lose... He isn't going to be worth shit, and the Republicans won't want anything to do with him. So Donald's being a little presumptuous here. He thinks the Republicans are going to win in the midterms. And there's nothing, there's no evidence in my mind that suggests that could happen, other than bullshit polls. So he's being a little presumptuous. It's going to be interesting to see what he really does, if after the midterms, the Democrats hold the House and the Senate. I know he's going to start screaming like a stuck pig saying, I'm the only one that can save you. But it's got to change his plans a little bit. He's presuming he's going to win. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when the facts don't support it, you're in for in for a disappointment. And Donald Trump has been, if nothing else, a fucking disappointment on all levels, from a businessman to a politician to a husband to a father. He is a fucking disappointment. All right. Everybody talks about the October surprise. Well, there's a November surprise. And I don't know if this is a big deal or not, really, but um, it couldn't hurt. Oprah Winfield has unveiled the November surprise. She has endorsed Pennsylvania Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman, rejecting his opponent, Republican Dr. Oz, the man she helped transform into a national celebrity. But it took her long enough, didn't it? She waited till the last minute before she said this. The reason Dr. Oz is well-known and wealthy Is because of Oprah Winfrey. Now, she knew who he was, and she knew who John Fetterman was. She could have said something well before now. But she's covering her ass now. Well, I did say I did support Fetterman. Whether that has a big impact or not, I don't know. But it can't hurt. It can't hurt. She was speaking at a virtual Get Out the Vote event on Thursday evening. Winfrey said, I will tell you this, if I lived in Pennsylvania, and she doesn't, I would have already cast my vote for John Fetterman for many reasons. The statement turned heads because Winfrey's relationship with Oz goes back years. Oz is a former heart surgeon, and he developed a national profile. As a celebrity doctor through scores of appearance on the Oprah Winfrey show that led to his own spinoff show in 2009, co-produced by Winfrey's production company, which ran until this past January. I told this story before I'll tell it again. I remember when I was with my family in New York. We were just sightseeing. We were on a vacation. We took a vacation every year with the kids, so they got exposed to some things and had some uh, life experiences. Or we're standing around someplace in a park, and this young girl comes up to us and says, Hey, would you like to be in the audience of the Dr. Oz show? Well, none of us knew who the fuck Dr. Oz was. We're in New York looking to have fun. We don't want to watch some fucking shitty show that we've never heard of. So we said, uh, suck eggs, man. See you later. So I had the opportunity to see Dr. Oz at one point. I didn't take them up on it. And now I'm glad I didn't. Because even before he decided to run for office, uh, I could see he was a quack. He's selling all this stupid shit on the air. He's nothing but a grifter. And uh, he has no business being a U.S. senator, even though he thinks he should be a U.S. senator. I don't know. The last thing I wanted to talk about, uh, and 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 this is a celebrity um, that actually agrees with me. Now, Michael Moore is a documentarian. He's a celebrity. I'm not sure if I like him or not. He has some issues either way, but it doesn't matter. Um, He was on uh, uh, a news source recently, and he was being interviewed. And I really like the attitude he took because I agree with him. Michael Moore said he's confident of a Democratic midterm win this Thursday. Moore said it was foolish to think that women no longer care as much about abortion rights as they did when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. More mocked polls suggesting women's have collected themselves after Roe. And he makes an excellent point here. You know, anytime there's a scandal or a problem, the earlier you get it out, people have a chance to forget about it and move on to something else. And I think the Republicans think that they're over the hump with this overturning of Roe v. Wade. I think they are. I think they think that. But, uh, if if that's what they think, they don't understand women at all. Moore said he's confident of a Democratic midterm win. He doesn't believe pollings that suggest women aren't as concerned about abortion as voting issues compared to inflation or the price of gas. Moore said it was foolish of Republicans to think that women no longer care as much about abortion rights as they did when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. This is they're going to be hit blindsided by a bus on this one. If they think they're done with this, if they don't think this is going to cost them votes, they are going to be sorely disappointed. So I agree with Michael Moore on this. It's easy to say, well, that uh, abortion thing's behind us. We don't have to worry about it. But that gas and that inflation, that's more important. If you think that, you don't know women. You don't do that to women and think you're ever going to come out of this alive. I know, I've been married for fucking 39 years. I've tried and I've been pretty slick many times, but I never succeeded. And the Republicans will not succeed here. Women are still angry and upset. You took a constitutional right away from them. They are not going to stand for that. And they are going to come out in force in the midterm elections. And the Republicans will take a bath with women in this country. And I don't mean that in a sexual sense. But when we're talking about Republicans, you never know. They're going to get their asses kicked by women in the midterms. All right. We're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. It's much appreciated. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.